part of us. All right, uh, Jeremiah Aha, come on up here, my friend. Uh, Jeremiah and I have been good friends for, for several years now, and he's partnered with us here at Emmaus several times in the past. When we put together this preaching series, uh, I don't remember when we started working on this. It was baseball season, because I was talking to you at a baseball game, so that gives you a little bit of time, uh, a little bit of a reference. But in addition to being a pastor, uh, Jeremiah is also a marriage and family therapist, and so we're in a series called Words We Speak to God. We're especially interested this summer in, in leaning into uh, an honest and open and transparent relationship with God. And uh, Jeremiah is just uniquely gifted and experienced to speak into this, so I've asked him to be a part of this series several times. Um, thank you today, thank especially, you. for joining us. We're grateful for your, uh, for your commitment to being here. All right, All God right. bless you. You should thank preach. You. Yeah. Emmaus, good morning. How are you? Good. How am I? I'm grateful to be here. On behalf of the Ahas, the Aha family, we are grateful to be here. Right, Bella? Yeah, she's over there. She's 11. It's okay. <laughs> By a show of hands, how many of us in this room, at least three times a week, say, where are my keys? Where are my keys? Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you. Three to 12 times a week, you're saying, where are my keys? How many of you are sitting next to someone in denial right now? You have someone like, they are lying right now. Yeah? Okay. How about maybe a different demographic here? How, how about you're wearing your glasses either on your eyes or on your head? Where are my glasses? How about that? Yes. Yes. And now my turn to be vulnerable. Have you ever done this? Um, have you been looking for your phone, <laughs> comma, when you were on your phone? <laughs> Ever done that? It's the strangest thing. I have no idea. I already, yes, yes, embarrassing, kind of like I hope nobody else saw those kinds of things, but to swiftly turn the corner from laughter to ooh, how many of you would like to be remembered for the worst thing you ever did? That's a rhetorical one. That's one of those where you answer in your head. Okay, you don't raise your hand or say anything out loud. How many of you, or would you want to be remembered for, in your worst moment, who you were as a person? For that to be your lasting legacy. For that to be a way that someone thought of you and remembered you, and that was kind of the memory that they have of who you are. Talk about kind of the cute things at the beginning, but maybe more painful things, things that hurt ourselves or other people. Would that be like to be remembered like that? Now, the kingdom of God does not work that way. This is good news. This is good news. The kingdom of God does not work that way. Remember Moses? Anybody remember that he was a murderer, wanted in a different country at the beginning? And Scripture tells us that he was the most humble man on earth. And he led God's people, which has now rolled into our story here today. That's why we're here. Because God delivered his people through Moses, who his lasting legacy didn't have to be the man wanted for, for murder. Or even for Peter, right? Peter's largely known for opening his, his mouth quite often or for not walking on the water. Which I will say, he did walk on water before he fell, just to put that out there. Not that I have to defend him or anything, but um, Jesus says he is going to be the rock that I will build my church. 
This is Peter's legacy. That he doesn't, that this moment of, of cowardice, of fear, of denying Christ isn't kind of the milestone that, that the kingdom of God would say, this is what's going to happen. This is how the kingdom will be unveiled through this. And the same thing even for us. It's going to be a little bit of an uncomfortable kind of morning, but that's okay because you're amongst friends and God is present and he delights to sit with us in pain. But I'll share in my own story. I was in um, high school, it was my senior year, and I made a huge mistake. It's actually a series of huge mistakes, as 18-year-olds often do at times. So much so that it affected not only the family that I was in, but in another family, and I was caught in this kind of web of things that I was thought that I was constructing together, and it came tumbling down in a very embarrassing, a very shameful fashion, and that's about all the details we need to go into this morning. And I remember one of the things that I would do in order to get away to hide, because since the beginning of our story, we've been hiding when we feel ashamed. Remember, God says in the garden, where are you? And we're hiding, Adam and Eve were hiding because they felt shame, it says in Scripture. So what I would do is I would go to the basketball courts about a half mile from my house. And I would shoot free throws, and that was like therapeutic for me. If I would make them, <laughs> then it was frustrating, right? And I played basketball throughout high school and, and, and some into college, and so that was a place of like safety for me. And I remember going there. Remember this like very sobering moment? Maybe you have your own like this where something painful has just happened. Maybe you were the cause of it. Or maybe there was just some pain in your life as a result of somebody else. And you, there was a sobering time where all of a sudden you looked at the world around you and maybe this thought entered your mind, the rest of the world is just spinning right around. It's just going along without me. And here I am stuck alone with guilt and with shame. And what am I going to do? And I was there. I was 18 years old. It was painful. And hurt, and I have, you know, our, my own adult stories where that's happened as well. But I would, I would invite you to join with me in this truth that the kingdom of God doesn't work like that, to where shame has to be the end of the story. Now, pain absolutely is, and, and what happens? What do we do with that? And there's three difficult words that we're going to talk about this morning. Three very difficult words, and this was kind of the road back to getting to wholeness and to healing and to one of our favorite words here in this community, restoration. Those three words are please forgive me. Please forgive me. Now this was a, a line given to God first and then also to the people that I hurt in the process. And it was those three words which can be some of the scariest and most vulnerable words that we can say. Please forgive me. Or somebody else throughout our story, throughout Scripture, and maybe you're familiar with him. He knocked down a giant. His name was David. David. Jack did too. That's great. I love that. Jack did too. I genuinely love that. So before Jack, there was David. Historians are kind of, you know, in debate about that, but we'll see how it all shakes down. So after David and Jack defeated the giant, got the beans and he went down to stop. Um, 
So David becomes king. David becomes king. And he's walking around on the rooftop of his, of his palace one night, and he sees a woman there. He says, I don't know her name. I want her to be over here with me. And he is unfaithful in the relationship with his wife. And in order to cover it up, he asked the husband who was at war at the time, his name was Uriah, he asked the general to bring back Uriah so that they can be intimate together. And Uriah doesn't because he's an honorable and noble man. So David's cover-up scheme didn't work there. And so when he sends him back out, he says, I want you to put Uriah at the front lines of the battle. And when it gets rough, I want you to withdraw all your men so that he will die. And David's plan works. This is 2 Samuel 11. And in 2 Samuel 12, there's someone named Nathan. Nathan is a prophet, the one that says the tough things. And Nathan comes up to him and says, hey, king, I have a story. And David says, tell me your story. He says, so let's just say there was a person. <laughs> and he tells this parable that essentially goes step for step for what David has done. Now, I can't imagine that David told everyone. It must have been that God was speaking through Nathan, maybe, yeah? So Nathan tells a story. A king did this. He had everything he wanted. He used his power differential and coerced these people into doing these things. He took something that wasn't his, tried to cover it up, ruined relationships, ruined lives. What would you say to this man? And David says, he should die. And Nathan says, I remember it hearing in the King James Version, because when I was growing up, 0 to 11, I read the King James Version only. As I've told you before, my dad said, if it's good enough for King Jimmy, it's good enough for me. <laughs> Which didn't make sense, because what was King Jimmy like, really? Like, how do we know? <laughs> but Nathan says in the King James Version to David, after David says, that man should die, Nathan says, thou art the man. It's you, king. Which, this is, this is a dangerous mission for Nathan to complete. Because right then and there, he could have said, off with his head. He says, that's you, David. And David, in that moment, that sobering moment of like, his, everything crumbles down and says, that is me. I've really, really, really messed up. And what we get is this psalm, Psalm 51, that's been credited to David. As he writes, think of it, he goes back to his room alone and he journals. And this is what he offers us, Psalm 51. So the table is set for us all to dive into this psalm together. Psalm 51. If you have your Bibles, with 395, we said, on the Bibles that we have here at Emmaus, maybe you have an app you can launch or you can read here on the screen. Psalm 51. The lines that David writes after being confronted with his own ugly and painful truth. David says, verse 1, Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. I'm going to pause real quick. There are many of us in the room who you've heard this several times. Maybe you've read this in times of repentance or forgiveness. There are some who are here in this room, maybe this is the first time you've heard it. There were some in the room that you're here because someone next to you said, like, come on, just come with me. We'll go to lunch afterwards. I'll pay. You can get extra guac. 
okay? Wherever you're at on that, on that continuum, wherever you're at. My prayer is that God would illumine our imaginations during this time and that we can read this as if it's fresh and new and maybe even if you feel brave enough to step into one of those situations where you had, where everything came tumbling down, where you knew you would hurt a lot of people. Maybe you're in the midst of that even this morning, and I would say maybe it's quite timely that you're here. So I invite you to, to read these lines along with me silently as if they're fresh and new, as if God himself would have something to say through it. So from the top. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, and I've done what's evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and you're justified when you judge, and surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me, and yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. God, cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, the joy of your rescue. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, my Rescuer, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Quick commentary, tongues, lips, mouth. There seems to be something about saying these words that is important. This series is called Words We Say to God. There's something about us saying them out loud. Verse 16, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Going through the motions doesn't, doesn't please him, but rather David says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you, God, you will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole then bulls will be offered on your altar so your response to what after i say is thanks be to god okay this is the word of god for the people of god very good very good it's really hard to ask for forgiveness isn't it can be really, really hard. And so one of our most often used tactics in order to avoid this is blame. Is blame. 
There's been more than one national leader that has said, mistakes were made. It's like the apology that's not the apology. Like this happened over there. It wasn't me, but this is what happened. So back to Moses. Remember when Moses comes down the mountain and Aaron um, is leading a bunch of people and they have a golden calf and they're just having this wild, wild debaucherous festival? Remember that? That part didn't make it in the movie so much. And so Moses comes down and Aaron says in Scripture, they threw all this gold in and out came this calf. As if Aaron was the one, I did it. I led them in to do this. I blew it. This is all on me. But instead we blame, right? We blame, we blame, we blame. A mentor of mine told me actually this past year, and I've held on to it, the search for blame is always successful. <laughs> the search for blame is always successful. It's mission accomplished every time we look for blame, to blame someone else. And this is not just in our lives or in, or in California or in the 21st century or in the West. This is since the beginning of time. That when the first mistake, rebellion, when, when doubt came into our story in Genesis 3, God addresses Adam. He says, hey, what's going on here? What does Adam say? It's this woman you gave me. <laughs> Fully did. Check it. You can fact check that. <clears throat> he says, it was this woman. But Eve's not off the hook either. What does Eve say? It's the serpent. And thus begins like the, the very first triangulation that happens. It wasn't me. It was, it was this. As if it was just like, God, if you wouldn't have done this, then this wouldn't have happened. Oh, the audacity of Adam. I respect it. I do. I respect it. But man. It wasn't me, it was this person you gave me. Eve says, well, it wasn't my fault, it was because here and round and round and round it goes. The search for blame is always successful and it is so much easier to blame or to point the finger. Hey, mistakes were made, you know, there's some things that, that, uh, that this organization is going to fix rather than we, ju we just dropped the ball and I'm to blame for this, I, I, I take responsibility for it. It's easier to blame. And blame is hurled to avoid this reality that we don't have everything under control. That we don't have everything under control. Because when a mistake happens, it's a giant reminder, even if we do it, it's a giant reminder that we don't have control. So instead, we look to somehow piece it together to make it look like, well, I mean, it's not my fault, it's, it's theirs. Even if we don't use those exact words, we blame others in order to be like, well, that, that was, I can't be held responsible for their actions, right? All the while that there's something that God wants to do in us when we take responsibility for those things. So for the remainder of our morning, I, I want to take a look at this as us in relation to God, but also us in relation to the other. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a loved one, it's a friend, it's a coworker. So from us to God in a vertical fashion and from us to God in a horizontal, or from us to our, uh, the other in a horizontal fashion. What, what God can do when we take responsibility, when we have a Psalm 51 kind of approach to things like, it is all on me, I have sinned against you and you alone, I've done what's evil in your sight, it's me. I've been sinful from the very beginning. The way Eugene Peterson translates verse 10, I'd like for us to bring that up on the screens, please. 
God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. A lot of callbacks this morning to Genesis, and here's another one. Help me out. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the, and the earth, right? So first off, we have a setting, we have a place, we have an action. God's introduced as an artist, as a creator, as a generative being from the very beginning, right? Verse 2, and the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, from the very beginning of our story, God is in the midst of the mess. He's in the midst of the chaos. He's in the midst of the tangled up, gnarled mess, Christmas lights kind of, kind of earth is what I picture it. We, when we take them out and they're all like, I packed them just fine. How are they like this? God's in the midst of that too, literally speaking, but also figuratively. From the very beginning, where there's chaos, where there's a mess, whether that's been because it was there, because we've created God is in the midst of that. And what happens throughout that, the rest of Genesis 1 and in 2, is he creates structure, right? He gives it form. He creates something beautiful out of the mess. So if you're here this morning, and maybe you're encountering this, this reality that I'm in the middle of a mess that I've created, God is there. Willing to create something beautiful. And it may look like a mess now, and I'm going to validate that. It may look really, really difficult. But nothing is impossible for him. From the very beginning until right now in this moment. In the midst of the mess, God is present. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of our mistakes, in the midst of the, oh, he's there. He's there right in the middle of it. In spite of it, the New Testament tells us that while we were yet sinners, like even in the midst of the mess, he's there. The prodigal son on his way back had just been with pigs, right? The most vile thing in the Jewish culture. He doesn't get cleaned up and shaved and change of clothes before he comes and sees dad, does he? He goes right to him. In the midst of the mess, the father is there. Therefore, what do we do with this? These are great ideas. Okay, so here's five practical things. Note takers, you're going to love this part. Here's a way that we can get practical about this. We have five forgiveness languages. And I'll give, um, um, to, to pass you on to, remember Gary Chapman and the five love languages? Yeah, cool. So he also wrote the five forgiveness languages. It's actually quite good. And so we're going to go over these things. Again, this is for us and God and for us and the other. Five forgiveness languages. And the first one is expressing regret. Expressing regret. I, I blew it. I really messed up. As we go through here, maybe you'll find one that you're quite familiar with. That you're like, yeah, that's, that's kind of me. Or, yeah, that's how my, my, you know, my spouse, family member, this is how they express an apology. This is how they ask for forgiveness. Okay, but the first one is expressing regret. I know that I've hurt you very deeply. I just should have been more thoughtful. I just let what was happening at work really get to me, and I brought it home, and I just, I really was unkind and just a real grump, and I'm sorry. Expressing regret. 
number one. Number one. How many of you, this is, how many of you would say, yeah, that's kind of how I do it? Yeah? Cool. Okay. I, this is lower hands this time. I understand. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's kind of a risk, but okay. Next is accepting responsibility. Accepting responsibility. This is my fault. This is my bad. This is on me. I did it. Take full responsibility for this. I'm sorry. Accepting responsibility. Maybe think, maybe this is where you're at. Maybe this is your preferred language. And also, I invite you to think through as we go through these five, we have our own preferences for which ones we like to hear, which one we really like. That's a real apology, right? Okay. But that may not be the case for someone who you're in a relationship with. So it's part of not only knowing kind of what we would prefer, and we can state that to our loved one, or what they might prefer, and understanding where they might be coming from. Okay? Number three, making restitution. Making restitution. This is making things right. This is maybe a way of repaying or restoring. Remember Zacchaeus? Where Jesus went to his house on Tuesday? So I thought the song said when I was younger, I'm going to your house Tuesday. Remember that? I was like, why not go now? Like, what's Taco Tuesday back in the old time? Um, at the end of that story, Zacchaeus says, I'm going to repay everyone four times. I'm going to make this right. I'm going to do what's right. That's what I did to wrong you is how I'm going to make up for it. Making restitution, number three. Number four. Number four, genuinely repenting. Genuinely repenting. Repent is a word that surely if you've been following Christ for some time, you've heard. And what I will offer into that lexicon of repentance language is this, the Hebrew word that we get for this is to turn around. To turn around. That I'm not going to be like that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to change. I'm going to be different. This is, this is going to be a new me. Genuine repentance, which takes quite a bit because you're saying this is who I was before. This is who I'm going to be. I make a commitment to you. For someone that I have hurt, this is what I plan to do to turn around. Making, or sorry, genuinely repenting. And the last one is this. This might be the toughest Requesting forgiveness. Requesting forgiveness. So not a demand, but a request. I think one of the hardest questions that we can ask, particularly after we've caused someone pain, is will you forgive me? And the reason why is because that takes control, completely, control completely out of our hands. It's not up to us. It's a very vulnerable question. Because they have the option, right? They can say yes. Or they can say no. Or they can say not right now. Especially if it's done face to face. This is a very, very vulnerable and can be a painful question to ask because of what we're going to receive on the other end. Again, we, we blame in order to avoid the reality that we can't control and requesting forgiveness, will you forgive me, is really just saying, I, admitting to ourselves, I don't have control of this. And I'm going to put it into somebody else's hands. 
I'm going to take my hands off the wheel, and it's up to you now. It's up to you. And this is the one, I think we see glimpses of all five of these throughout Psalms 51. I invite you this next week to take a peek which one we can see, maybe even number it on where it's at. But this final one, I would say, is perhaps the most vulnerable. Which makes sense why this can provide some of the greatest healing and some of the greatest restoration in our relationships. Because will you forgive me really just puts it out there. It really puts it out there. Now, for those on the receiving end of this question, let's segue just real quick. On the receiving end, say someone does do this. Let's say this is, you know, this does something for where you're at in your life. And someone maybe that's in this room admits something, goes through this, and says, will you forgive me? I will say there's not a requirement or an obligation on you to say yes. You still have a choice. It's okay to be honest. Because what we don't want to have happen is, yes, I'll forgive you, and that's just a seed for resentment. That it really isn't there yet. Maybe it's just, I want to, I'm just not at that place right now. I'm just not at that place right now. The good news, friends, the good news is God doesn't have that in his vocabulary. He doesn't have, I need to think on it. Because that was pretty bad, man. Not in God's vocabulary. God says, I don't know what you're talking about. I think it's in Isaiah that it says, he, he, it's, it's out of his memory. He forgets it. It's moved to the, as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't have this, that last part of, ah, we'll have to see. It doesn't make us kind of like, uh going to happen. That's good news. It's good news he doesn't have the capacity to have resentment. Because as his sons and daughters, we really are pieces of work sometimes. Can we admit that? Yeah? He doesn't have it in him to say like, ah. He says, I do. Let's get back up. Let's keep walking. Last I would leave us is this, a request for forgiveness is letting go of control and seeking restoration for the relationship. That is the first step to begin to put that relationship back together again. That's the first step of admitting, I don't have full control over this thing. It's not only up to me. This is both of us. I have hurt you. I do want to make it up. Whatever language that you find yourself using most, it's kind of most preferred, that's the first step to say like, hey, can we become connected again. Maybe there's a phone call you need to make. I will challenge you to go phone call or face-to-face and not text. I don't care how old you are in the room. Because it's much tougher to say things in real time and in face-to-face than it is right here. I'm not knocking texts. They're convenient. I told I text Nate this morning. I had to park way down the road. So I'm usually right here. So I text him and said, I'm gonna, you know, a few minutes late. That's fine. Texting is fine. But for this, for these vulnerable conversations, there's something that happens in real time. There's something that happens face to face. And if we want to seek a restoration with relationship, whether it be with somebody else or with God, I invite you, I challenge you to a real time seeking of restoration. Would you pray with me?
Abba, we belong to you. Thank you that you don't have the capacity to hold a grudge or to have resentment for us. Thank you for saying yes when we ask for forgiveness. God, you are still a creator now. You're still wanting to recreate things in the pain of where we're at or others. So out of the chaos in our lives, would you begin creating something new that would bring life, that would bring fruit, that would begin, that would bring beauty. God, for those in the room that this is a reminder of maybe some past trauma or some current hurts, would you reassure them that you were there in the midst of it and they're in a room full of people that care and that want to walk with them? God, for those of us that have been avoiding saying those three difficult words to you for something we've done in our past, of please forgive me. Would you stir their imagination of what it would look like, of what a life would look like if they were to step out and repent, ask for forgiveness, and to have an honest conversation with you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move for these kinds of moments, that you would restore all kinds of everything in our lives today. Thank you for who you are, for your love, for the grace you offer us. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.